This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob Rue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. It's been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) This is number seven. No, it's eight. Yeah, you're right. Because we chose eight and a half. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, what what other film do we choose, Mike? Uh, Jaws 3D. Mm Mm-hmm. Jaws 3D. Yeah. Yeah. But I did not watch it in 3D, try as I might. Neither did I. I put on the blue and red glasses, and it just looked really funny. (laughs) But it wasn't, nothing popped out at me. Yeah, although they tried. There's a few scenes where it's pretty obvious that it's a 3D scene. Oh, wow, yes. And it's lackluster. Oh, so, so lackluster. A whole jaw bone comes towards your face. Yeah. A shark's jaw bone. Um, Yeah, so the two films we did were uh, Eight and a Half and Jaws 3D. That's right. Can you guess which one was the heralded classic and which one was the dismal box office disaster? Are you asking me? No, I'm asking the audience, all of our viewers, okay, listeners. We'll, okay, we'll wait. That's correct. You guessed right. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was eight and a half. Also, is your microphone backwards? No, I don't think so. Oh, shit. Yeah. There we go. Oh, thank you. Oh, Maybe we God. should start over. Yeah, let's start over. Good catch. Fuck. I was like, you sound like you're, I, I can hear myself in, <laughs> yeah. when you, yeah, in your microphone. Yeah. That sounds better. That sounds way better. Oh, okay. my God. Well, we lost all that great bit. Yeah, that's okay. It's disposable because we made it up. That's right. Anyways. Wow, great catch. I totally put it in forwards, too. How embarrassing. Uh, Bob had his microphone in backwards. I'm dumb. Wow. Wow. This is the kind of loosey-goosey kind of fun energy. You know, mistakes. Whatever. You know, that's the kind of energy people <laughs> listen to this this for that's true you know what i realized our format is similar to that of um my favorite murder oh really yeah because it's two people who host a show they just talk at length they do a lot of research but a lot of inaccuracies like they never get the names of things correct Hmm. they never um like their geography is always out of the window there's always like details that are really fuzzy but the show is very captivating i'm not saying we're captivating but i'm saying format wise it's similar and it, it does work so here's the thought mm-hmm. i was listening to a podcast earlier today on the way over which one uh Can we even I, say i won't say good okay just because i'm gonna throw some shade Ooh. some pod beef okay cool this is this segment is called Pod Beef, where we just beef with another podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, one of my pet peeves about podcasts, which which keeps me from really getting engaged with the form, is the constant chuckling that happens in them. Oh yeah, just like people laugh way too hard at things that aren't really that funny. Yeah, uh, generally, and, and you know this is, happens a lot in podcasts I would listen to because I, and, you know, I'm a fan of comedy and yeah. I kind of gravitate towards just movie or. Or uh, comedy podcasts. I don't know. Just a thought. If you're the type of person who like uh, has when somebody tells a joke and you laugh way too hard that it makes you have a coughing fit. <laughs> like almost every time yeah. you laugh at some like dumb riff that somebody else on the podcast did. Maybe you shouldn't be podcasting. Yeah, you're in the wrong job. 
in the wrong job. You have a coughing fit after yeah. every Have you laugh. ever heard a podcast where that happens? I've heard several. No. Where someone is just laughing too hard at their friends, like, riffing. Yeah. I've heard laughing that's so, it sounds so earnest, it sounds fake. Yes. Like, oh, like yes. the person clearly is falling over. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, that's not real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many times where people just talking over each other and just screaming at each other because they're laughing so hard. Yeah. I, I, I get that this is funny, but it's not hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, totally. that's some pod beef. Interesting. I think that's a great note and a great observation. Also, and something we should be weary of. Yeah. Also, we don't want to be on the other end of a pod beef. No. God, I hope nobody shit talks this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll find out, won't we? Well, sometimes I read people talking about podcasts and they're just like, it's just another couple of white guys talking about movies, podcast. Yeah. Anyway, going that's, to Bob's to record a podcast, <laughs> which is that exact description. Yeah. That's very, very funny. That's, that's the challenge, though. It is. Yeah. And and I think that's also a good note to be aware of like the trends and whether or not they're good or bad. And then either being a part of it, but changing it and making it better or trying to be the contrary yeah. to what's already happening. So are we changing the format? No. Sound off in the comments below. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. <clears throat> I said no, but that's my opinion. What's yours? Yeah, what's yours? Yeah. Um, should we get into this epi? epi? Yeah, sure. Let's get into the epi. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool, cool. Epi. So, yes, as you know, we're, we're, we're taking two movies. One that's super popular. No, wait, that's not it. Not necessarily popular, no. but heralded critically as a good film. Yes. As a quote-unquote quality art piece. And the other one is Cinematic Doodoo. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we did Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini. Yeah. Federico Fellini. Federico. Yeah. Excuse me. And Jaws 3D directed by Joe Alves. Or I, Joe I think Alves. So. Yeah, something like that. Or Alves. Like <laughs> rhymes with halves. Yeah. Like, ha- like half, like plural. <laughs> <laughs> also if yes. you have two halves is that not just one thing it is one thing yeah that's the basic fraction <laughs> two halves make a whole touche yes you're welcome okay well tell me about eight and a half okay a eight, cinematic classic eight and a half is uh the eight and a half film Made by Federico Fellini. So this was a meta title he threw in, expecting to change it at a later time. Because it's pretty masturbatory and self-aware to have a title of your movie be the chronolog- like the order of films that you've made. Because um, he made six features and then two shorts. And then he did one film where there were two directors. He was one of them. So oh, he right. considers that half a movie. Um, so yeah, this is his, his, his eighth movie, I guess. Ninth movie. And uh, Wait, he, made a, he made a Grindhouse movie. What? You know, like Grindhouse is Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. It's like they both directed that movie, Grindhouse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Anyway. I didn't love that movie. Anyways, did you like that movie? I liked. No. <laughs> All yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> I liked Robert Rodriguez's when I saw it and I really didn't like Quentin Tarantino's. Right. But now my opinion is flipped. Fair enough. I flipped? It. Yeah, I actually would never watch Planet Terror again, but I would put on the other one, whatever that one was called, the car, the car one. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, 
What is that one called? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, anyways. Nobody will know. Yeah, so he, he pulled a grindhouse. He did a split feature. Um, so yeah, eight and a half. Uh, as the film was released in 1963, it won two Oscars. One for best uh, costume design, black and white, and also best foreign film. Fellini was nominated for best director. He did not win. Boo. Um, I have a funny anecdote. So this film, he like made this film... He signed a contract, supposedly, and didn't have a concept for a movie. So what happens to Guido, the protagonist in this film, was almost what happened to Federico Fellini. And then right before the picture was to start, he had to basically just explain to a large number of people all at once what the movie was about. And he realized in that moment that uh, this this was going to be what the film was about, what he was going through in that moment, which was hesitation, artistic insecurity, uh, sort of writer's block and creative block. It must be nice. Yeah. It must be nice to just be like, hey, you can make any movie. And he's just like, uh, yeah, I'll just kind of like fart it out at the last minute. But you know, it's funny. This is arguably one of his best films. I would and say he, of all the ones I've seen, it's his best movie. Yeah, I've seen a few of them and some of them are unwatchable to me. If which I'm is, being honest. Which one are we talking about? Like Satyricon. Okay. I couldn't watch it. Did you see Roma? No. Is yeah. it good? Uh, I don't know. I saw okay. it when I was... Much younger. MR Cord is really good and La Dolce Vita I really like. But yeah. his early stuff, like his early, like Satyricon I think was in the 50s and it, I could not watch it. What about La Strada? You ever see that one? No, I haven't seen it. Is it good? I thought so. Okay. Dude loves his carnivals. He does. He does. Yeah. He loves carnivals and like dancing. Yes. Like ballet specifically, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, he ended up making this movie and he basically improvised the whole thing. And they could do that because they shot the film silently, as was the norm in the 60s and yes. earlier in Italian filmmaking. So they shot it silently. And then he, so while directing, he would like yell at the actors to do certain things and perform certain ways. Um, so it's a lot like, you know, in the old days when they were shooting silent films and they would sort of direct while the f- camera was rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they dubbed it also. That's why the mouth never syncs up with the dialogue because uh, either the line was totally different or they just couldn't sync it. It would take too long because the movie's really long. It's over two hours. It is. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was like two, two and a half, something like that. So it's pretty lengthy. Um, but yeah, he, he and the protagonists like Federico Fellini and Guido basically went through the same thing emotionally and that they had a bunch of pressure. They had no idea what to do. They ended up blowing it off for as long as they could. And then Guido fails, but Federico Fellini succeeds. So don't we all succeed? Yeah, wow. Yeah. We, I guess we all do. Yeah. Yeah. By, as viewers. Yeah. Kind of like adaptation. You ever see adaptation? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, with Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Kind of. It is. Yeah. It's similar. It's like, "Ah, I don't get an idea. I'll make this movie about me not having an idea. The end. That's the end. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, all the movie is, everybody. Yeah. That's it. That's the synopsis. We just like, I don't got an idea. The end. (laughs) Great movie, though. Really, really good. Throughout the film, Guido's just like, how do I make this movie? Mm -hmm. Uh, Except he says it in Italian. Yeah. Uh, and in the musical nine, which I'm sure you will mention, yes, based on this film, mm-hmm. I think there's literally a song called "How Do I Make This Movie." Really? And I think he says that in the movie. Oh, that's funny. In eight I and think, a half, too. Yeah, at one he, point, I believe he does. Some something like in the same vein. Yeah, but when he asked that, I was just like, Guido, just phone it in. <laughs> Don't try so hard. 
Yeah. You're not feeling it? Just phone it in. You're not the only person who is just given movies to make and people are just handing him money for some reason. Yeah. And he gets to just film with whatever actress he wants. Just phone it in, man. Just totally. The next one will be good. Yeah, 100%. That's, I like your instincts, Mike. But you got that, you got that 1960s Italian director privilege, man. Just got to use it while you can. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So while he was making it, he put like a note over the eyepiece of the camera that said, remember, this is a comedy because he was getting he was like so flustered, apparently, and he's improvising most of the time. So he, he had that just to like ground him. So he knew tonally what the film was all about. A strike at uh, Chinachita, the lab that they had, uh-huh. uh, uh, meant that he couldn't watch dailies until the film was like finished. Oh, wow. So he didn't he didn't start watching the film until he was editing it. Because like the, there's no way to get dailies. All of it just like I guess the negative just sat undeveloped for the majority of the production, which is pretty crazy. And then yes, nine is based off of eight and a half, and it's a musical. Um, and then it's did very well in the eighties when it came out, and then it was revived in like two thousand three. Daniel Day Lewis is in the film version. It's very popular, very good. The uh, the broadcast recording or the Broadway recording. There's a rec- cast recording of it. Yeah, it has uh, Jonathan Price. From oh. Brazil. Oh, cool. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Sweet. That's the one that I heard when I was younger. Oh, cool. As an eight and a half fan, I was like, they made a musical of this? And I got it out of the library. Nice. Very, very good. I just got a library card. It really changed my life, if I'm being honest. You can get the DVD of Nine, not the Blu-ray. Yeah. The movie. And you can get the CD of the Broadway cast recording or whatever. Yeah. So for all you people out there listening... Go to the library and get it. Yeah, it's great. Give it a listen. Give it a watch. You can get eight and a half, too. Yeah, you can. Or you can watch it online. Or you can watch it online. Yes. Um, The Beautiful Confusion was a potential name because the character is confused and Federico Fellini was confused. So that was suggested, but it was never taken. Yes. Um, And two endings were shot for this film. So I heard, yeah. There was one, the one we see in which they all dance and the press is there and he ends up directing... Uh, which is the uplifting version. The the pessimistic ending was he got on a train with his wife after failing. And then as he's going through a tunnel, just before going through a tunnel, apparently all the major characters from the film and in his life uh, appear in the window right. and uh, look down and smile at him. And then an author, a writer said uh, that was too too close to... The, the metaphor of, of like suicide and of death was too dark and the film should have an uplifting ending. And he's like, all right. So he just changed it. Well, he shoots himself in the movie. Yeah, he does. Was that real? Who knows? Did everything that happened after, was this just in his dream or whatever happens to your brain? Was it just his brain like decomposing and then just that's just what his brain made? Maybe. that You could write a, I'm sure you could write a paper on that. Um, I love the li- the very like literal symbol of the head in the clouds at the mm-hmm. beginning of the film when he is a kite. And his head is literally in the clouds. I love that. And then they pull him down to earth, literally, and he falls into the ocean. Wow. I I didn't even like, I didn't even take the time to try and break that down. Well, I've seen the film a few times. So I watched it last night. Hey, I am a cinephile. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. And so some of the metaphors are just like so on the nose, but I love it. I think it's beautiful. Also, the special effects in this film are better than in Jaws 3D, for sure. There was special effects in this film? An eight and a half? Yeah. Yeah, like the man's foot 
like when he's the kite, there's a camera looking down at the guys on the beach, and oh, then yeah. a, and then they drop a doll from a, a helicopter into the oh, ocean. Really? Like it all looks better than I anything. was all wondering how that hap- how they did that. And it looks way better than anything from uh, Joss you know, 3D. Yeah, Joss 3D. I keep forgetting the name. Um, anyways, so that's some info. That's the film. That's some history and a little bit of context as well as a little synopsis of what happens in the film. Great work. Great research. Thank you. What about Jaws 3D, Mike? Jaws 3D. Don't know if you know this, but it's a sequel to Jaws. What? Yes, but they made a movie in between Jaws 2. Right. Or Jaws the Revenge. Yeah, it's the same name. Oh, is Jaws the Revenge? There's four Jaws films. My, Michael Caine is in the fourth one. Michael Caine. Exactly. But I don't actually know what the second one's called. Yeah, I think I it is Jaws 2 and then Jaws yeah, Revenge is the fourth one. That makes one. sense, actually, yeah, because yeah. this movie came out during kind of like the height of uh, 1980s blockbuster sequel uh, overload yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it would have been called Jaws 2, I think, just mm-hmm. because people would have been like, I love sequels. Yeah, totally. Oh, this is the second one. I'll go see this. <laughs> and then they go watch it and they're like, this wasn't as good. <laughs> uh, That's so before they realized that sequels often are a letdown. Yes. This yeah. movie is no different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they made a sequel of the sequel. It was filmed in 3D. Oh, yeah. So this movie kind of came out during the uh, sequel blockbuster heyday. But then also like the 3D comeback heyday, too. There's a bunch of like movies that came out in the early, early 80s that were, that were both sequels. To blockbuster films that mm-hmm. were also 3D, and they were usually the the third movie in the series. Like there was a Nightmare, uh, no, there was a, a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Mm. That was 3D, I believe so. Yes. Oh wow! So one of the ten. Oh yes, cool. Yes. It was made for I think nineteen million dollars, so it was a big budget film at the time. Yeah. Now that's a ludicrously small amount of money, even with inflation. I feel like. Yeah. And uh, then it was still made almost $100 million. What? Yeah. This was a good idea. And also it used a inexpensive form of 3D technology, which made it so that you could still project in what was like an equivalent to like, you know, two 4K image, kind of like what we see in the movie theaters nowadays. Mm-hmm. But it was basically instead of having two full movie cameras filming and two full movie projectors projecting the movie like they did back in the 50s or 60s, they were able to use one with some new technology where it stacked the image on top of each other. I can't explain it without (laughs) visuals. (laughs) But But uh, But it's new. Well, I mean, it was, yeah, it was kind of like a new kind of thing at the time. And also they released the film. You could watch it in both, uh, What's it called? Polarized glasses, like the ones we have nowadays. Right. Or with anaglyph, like the red and blue thing. Mm. I personally prefer the red and blue. Do you? I find that the 3D looks better. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Maybe it's just the way my eyes work. But every time I watch a polarized movie, it's like I watch it for like five minutes. Yeah. And then I forget that I'm watching a 3D movie. And I'm just like, why is this movie so dark? Right, right, right. Whereas every time I watch a blue and red one, first of all, they're putting the effort in to make... The 3D stuff pop out at you, which I love. Oh, for sure. I love it when something comes at you. Mad Max 3D, they throw like wheels and parts and stuff at you. There's so many parts where they just throw stuff at you. It's like, good, thank you. Yeah. Jackass 3D, also another great uh, movie we we were discussing earlier. Pre-pod. Pre-pod. Pre-epi. Yeah, it was... (laughs) It was... uh, Yeah, that was a good 3D movie. Yeah. Because they had poo chunks coming at you. And that was very exciting. Been there, done that. Um, 
Another thing is the director of the film. This is only credit. Really? Yeah. Why? What? Did you learn anything about him? No. He made one film. He made one movie. Why oh, he was he a production like- designer. Oh, he was a production okay. designer and the writer of this film. Right. There's an interview where he he rips this guy apart. He's just like, oh, he's a good production designer, but he's not a good director. That's so funny. I didn't think the movie was that poorly directed. In fact, I actually thought it was really poorly written. <laughs> I would argue the faults lie in the script, not yeah. in the yeah the direction. Or There's anything. a few times where I was just like, wow, that director figured out how to get that shot in a real cool way. Yeah. Uh, to sell the 3D and then also make stuff kind of spooky and scary because it's kind of a horror movie still. Yeah. Also, the production company wanted it to be a sequel to the other Jaws movies in more ways than one. That being the shark from the film is the shark from Jaws 2. Right. Whereas... Was was the shark killed in the second one? He was electrocuted. She was electrocuted. Okay. So, but they used the same prop. I don't know. I I didn't find that out. Right. But so it's technically the same, you know what I mean? Like it's a canon shark. Canon wise, it's the same shark, supposedly. Oh, okay. Like if you can, it's just like a puppet, you know, swimming around in the water. If your mind is going to be like, this is Barbara from Jaws 2, you know, the shark's name is Barbara. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's not actually a fact that I found out. I just made that one up. The two characters were named Brody in the film. Yeah. And those were uh, relatives of the character Brody from Jaws 1. So they really tried to make people who are hardcore about Jaws, which I don't know if that was a thing people were hardcore about. I have no idea. I don't know. I was I was alive when this movie came out, but I was Yeah. Or even I don't know, I definitely wasn't aware that Jaws or its sequels were around. Yeah, I I didn't know either. I didn't find out about the fourth one uh until like a year ago. Oh yeah? Yeah, and it was like an offhand comment in some video that I watched. And they're like, oh yeah, it's, it's as bad as Jaws 4. And I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. I kind of have a morbid curiosity about uh, crappy sequels. Same, same. It's a fun rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, like I kind of want to watch some of the Nightmare movies. you know what you movies? are? You're a masochistic cinephile. No. Yeah. That sounds almost <laughs> like a bad thing to be. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Okay, yeah. I take it back. Uh... One more thing, Leah Thompson, this is her first movie role. Wow. And she would later appear in the Back to the Future series, another movie series that was of the sequelized 80s. And she, and in Back to the Future 2, they actually kind of make fun of Jaws and the many, many sequels. Oh, yeah, they do. There's like a 3D Jaws, right? Yeah, that kind of references Jaws 3. Yeah, so that's really funny. Kind of wild. Although that movie came out like five or six years after this film, so... She did okay. She was okay, yeah. She did like, a good great... for you first role. Yeah, totally. But her career picked up. Like yeah. Being, I guess the movie made $100 million, so it doesn't matter. It's interesting. I mean, okay, for the record, I suggested this movie, and Mike quickly said, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it bombed, and I don't think it's critically panned either. It didn't it's bomb. It's just average. It, no, it is critically panned. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. good. Because it I made know, a lot of money. I know Ebert hated it. Oh, and I trust his opinion. I definitely trust his opinion. Although half the time he's wrong. What but do you mean? Oh, sometimes he just, I'm just like, I don't, I don't agree with you, Ebert. Right. But right. you know that he's coming at it from like a smart place, at least. RIP. He, he thinks critically for sure. Yeah. He doesn't, he didn't like Ninja Turtles. Oh. But I did because I was eight and he was an old man. <laughs> So, so he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Wrong demo. Yeah. No kidding. 
So yeah, that's uh, that's all I got for Jaws okay. 3D. It was released in theaters as Jaws 3D, and cool. then in the various formats that it came out with as Jaws 3. Mm. And they did screen it on television in 3D at one point. Oh, okay. I don't know why. Or how. Well, you, they just showed in the red and blue thing. Oh, right, right, so right. So you just have to have access to those glasses. Right. Interesting. I mean, everyone, you take those from the movie theater. I had those growing up. I had a pair from that I kept. I still have them, I think, from Spy Kids 3. Yeah, me too. Spy Kids 3D. Really? Yeah, the same. same film? That's wow. the same film. That's the last film I saw that was red and blue. Yeah, same. Yeah, and I kept those glasses because they looked cool. It was a good 3D movie too. Yeah, it it was deliberately 3D. You could feel yeah. it in every decision they made. Yeah, it was, and that was why. Yeah. It's just like, I'm, no, I'm all about the gimmick. Don't try and like, if you're going to make a 3D movie and you're going to make me pay money to go see something, I have to pay an extra $4 to see this in 3D. Yeah. Against my will because you're not screening in any other way, but I have to see this. <laughs> yeah. At least put the effort in to like have something come at me a few times. Yeah. It's yeah, it's not like watching a courtroom drama in 3D. Like you don't want to do that. But no. if it's if there's space battles or whatever or some sort of extravagant adventure, then it's like, mm, this is 3D fodder for sure. I can't even think of the last 3D film I saw that I thought was good, 3D. Hugo. I think oh, yeah, that's Hugo. the last one. I don't think they've made a, a good one. No, Jackass 3D came out after Hugo. I think. Oh, did it? Okay. But fair enough. Touche. That was Touché. the only other. So Scorsese or Steve O. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only ones who've mastered the form. Yeah. Um, should we do some similarities now? Sure, yeah. That's what people listen to this. That's for. why the people come to the screen, they look at a black screen, they listen to our voices, and they listen to these arbitrary combinations that we have, or similarities. Okay, so uh, this one, fairly obvious. I'm sure all of the fans have already thought of this too. And honestly, this didn't... I don't think this crossed our minds when we chose these, but a number is in both the titles. No, yeah, we didn't think about that. that didn't, I didn't realize that till today. A number and a line. Yeah, that's true. There's a dash in eight and a half and then a dash in uh, 3D. You one's horizontal, one's diagonal. A, a slash. A slash. Yeah. A slash and a dash. Yeah, so b- both movies have similar punctuation and uh, numerals. Since do, uh, watching the films, I've actually made some eight and a half slash Jaws 3D slash. What? You know what slash is? No. Oh, it's where people make uh it's like fanfic, but it's where characters from two different universes have sex. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you would know that, Mike. You yeah. would know that. Sometimes I do the old slash and dash. <laughs> you just right right just like Captain Kirk, uh, Captain uh, Luke Skywalker, uh, and then you just leave. Yeah, you leave. You delete. You leave all your the restaurant. Work. You leave the, the Starbucks, which which with which Wi-Fi you are using yes. for free. Yeah, I got another one. I'm feeling really hot and ready, so I'm going to lay another one down. Both movies start um, with a scene near the ocean. That's or, right. Or uh, on the ocean. I'll do it one more for you. All right, let's go, baby. Both films start by like kind of park areas near the ocean. Yes. Both films have characters at the beginning of the film with a rope tethered to their body in some fashion. That's right. There's the skiers, and they're also high up in the air. There's the water skiers and uh, a Guido with his head in the clouds. Also, when Guido was like floating over the cars, he, yeah. it, it kind of reminded me of the people at the top of the pyramid. Totally. Just kind of just like going straight through the air. Yeah. So there's some visual similarities right off the top. Yeah. 
which nobody has ever pointed out. <laughs> we're really making history. <laughs> both also, <laughs> while we're on the topic of the ocean, the ocean yeah. is a big part of both films. Yeah. Both films feature at some point scaffolding, like a scaffolding structure near the ocean. Yeah. With flags and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's great. Both films have a very unique and odd font choice for their opening credits. Yes. Eight and a half's uh, uh, font choice is like very fun, but it's not your like go-to. Like a lot of films now, the font choice they have for credits is almost identical, I would argue. I don't know what font that is, but there's a small list and, and I feel like every movie subscribes to it, but both of these movies have wild opening credits. It's either Verdana or Goody Old Style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Thank I'm surprised you. you know those, like with like offhand, that you can name them. Oh, yes. I feel like everyone blanks after Helvetica and Times New Roman. No, I could come up with a few more. Comic Sans. <laughs> Century Gothic. Yeah. That's a good font. Century Gothic is great. I love Baskerville. Century Gothic is both the Weezer font and the font for the movie Stepmom. Oh, Nice. Sweet. With, with Julia Roberts movie. and the mom who was the stepmom. <laughs> Susan Sarandon. That's ah, what there we go. The brain uh, was slow. Do you have another um, one? Yes. Both, both films thematically are about uh, somebody wanting to shut something down, but the man is telling them to go forward. That one is awesome. Nice. Thank you. That's fucking sweet, Mike. The fact, well, I find I find that for this pod, mm-hmm. for this apostrophe cast. This epi? Well, these epis. Yeah. It kind of works best when you find thematic links because that's the most ludicrous idea that two unrelated films that have absolutely nothing to do with each other would have the exact same theme. Totally. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Although that's not really a theme in the sense. Well, speaking of like thematic and more conceptual links, both films uh, uh, have couples discussing their relationships and the logistics of that relationship within the world of that movie. That's right. And, bo- and both couples are, one of them is visiting the other one at work. Yeah, yeah, and, totally. And talking about their relationship in the context of that work. Yeah, so. Yeah. And who'd have thought? Who would have thought? But somehow these films are so different. <laughs> um, and yet the same. And yet the same. Another theme. Uh, so uh, obviously Eight and a Half is like a very uh, sexual film. There's a lot of sexual energy. Guido is cheating on his wife and has multiple partners. A lot in the past. A lot in the present. Presumably a lot in the future. Hard to tell because the movie jumps time and space in a major way. Um, but the, um, the owner of SeaWorld also sort of behaves similar to Guido. Like in the beginning of the film, he's got binoculars and he's looking at the women riding the water skis and he's, he doesn't say anything or do anything explicitly, but there's a heavy sexual subtext of like him voyeuristically sort of like staring at them and, uh, in a way he owns them. Yes. Because they're his staff. And Guido sort of owns the women that, that are in his world. And there's a scene literally where he's like whipping them into shape. Yeah. Um, because they're acting out. And uh, I think, you know, if we were to write some fanfic, there could be a scene similar to that with the owner of SeaWorld and his subordinates. So I just think like there's a very similar tone and approach to relationship between men and women and power. Yes. Uh, and it's not healthy in either of them. Definitely not. So, and I think, you know, the shark is a metaphor for um, misogyny. 
because it's a female shark. And then the patriarchy kills it. Because also, SeaWorld is not a good thing. No, but at the time, we all thought it was. Yeah. Also, the documentary about Jaws 3D, they're constantly restating how dangerous sharks are in real life, and they're not. Like, it's just so... The misinformation that they're trying to spread through the making of the film, they're they're almost advocating like, yeah, this film is so beneficial to humanity because it'll really illustrate how dangerous sharks are and how bad they are for humanity. And it's like, well, no, they're just doing their thing. Obviously, putting a grenade in its mouth and killing it is not good. Yes, I agreed. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I digress. I got on a bit of a tangent there. On the topic of whips. uh, Oh, here we go. Both films, there's a... Yeah, somebody tames the beast, as it were, with like a rope. Oh yeah, like they they shoot that they shoot the shark to try and get it trapped in the cage with like that spear with the rope on it. Yeah, uh, and also yeah, he's got a he's got a, a whip. Yeah, that's a really good one. Nice, Mike. Thank you. Uh, both films have iconic theme music. I would say. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, the Nina Rota is like a famous famous film composer who did all a bunch of Fellini movies and yeah. other films after that. Uh, including one of the God, one or all of the Godfather. He did something for the Godfather films. I'm not sure. Was one of them. I can't remember which one. Yeah. Anyway, don't quote me on that, please. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then Jaws, this one was not composed by John Williams, but they did use like elements of it. Oh yeah. It's constantly sort of referencing the like dun dun, dun 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 yeah. dun dun dun. Yeah. And a lot of reviews, a lot of them were really bad reviews. But most people are just like, the score was pretty good. Yeah, because it was just John Williams' music Yeah, at that point. Well, it was done by Alan Parker, who is not the Alan Parker who directed The Wall. Yeah. Apparently. I totally they were around at the same time. Interesting. It's weird there's no union issue there. Well, yeah, and they're both British, too. Yeah, that's problematic for sure. My mind immediately went to, oh, Alan Parker, who directed Angel Heart? Yeah. No, different well, you guy. Picked two di- you, you picked total, two different Alan Parker films. In my mind, that's his quintessential film, but I would argue The Wall, in retrospect, is more obvious. When I was growing up and I was super into Pink Floyd, The Wall specifically, mm-hmm. I watched The Wall, the movie, a lot of times, uh, and I just had to convince myself that it was good, just right. because I liked the, the album so much. Yeah. Angel like, Heart is great. I've never seen The Wall. Is it bad? It's not bad, but it's not great. Right. It, it was feels, expensive, wasn't it? It was, it was expensive and it was cool because of the animation and the way that they kind of uh, dramatized a bunch of stuff from the album. Yeah. But also like, I don't know. It just really felt like there's like, oh, let's just make a movie of the story. And it just really is not interesting. Yeah. And it's hard to like translate and make it like work. Yeah. Yeah. It's also yeah. one of those things where it's just like kind of like eight and a half actually where a rock star who just can't get it together. Right. This right. is dramatically interesting. Um, what's the next one, Mike? Early in the film, uh, at the park by the water, yeah. in both of them, there's like a panning shot where it just pans across all of the people in the space. And it like pans, I think, from right to left. Oh, yeah. Then it kind of just settles on whoever the important character of the moment is. Yeah. Yeah, which is the guy who owns SeaWorld. And then Guido. Guido yeah. Both films. And then also in both films, kind of around the same point percentage-wise of the film, there's a part where some gates burst open with like flags adorning it and a big group of people just kind of parade through it. That's good. That was the people escaping SeaWorld. 
because there's a shark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what was the scene in eight? No, and that half? was them entering the park actually. Right. And then what? Which scene was it in eight and a half? When they're right before they start dancing. Yeah. Right, like, right, all, right, right. all of his friends and family and from his life come through the the gate. They come down the stairs. Yeah. From the launch pad. Yeah. That's a that's a great one. Yeah. Um, both of these films have are like I, I could argue sci-fi films on a certain level mm. um, because of uh, it, you know science fiction-y tropes so eight and a half has a large spaceship that is always talked about referred to and being built uh, during the film and uh, um, Jaws has a giant shark yes. that, <laughs> that attacks people and is very aggressive yeah, um, and cranky um, so, so cranky yeah they both have like large things that sort of like hang over the the, yes. the film and, and weigh down on the characters in the film. Like Guido's weighed down by the rocket ship and uh, Dennis Quaid and his partner are both weighed down by the shark and then they ultimately have to kill it. And in a way, Guido kills the rocket ship too. Go on. Which is another similarity because he tells them to tear it all down. He, he's like, I'm not doing the film. And all the, all the construction guys are like, what? And he's like, I'm sorry. Start tearing it down. So they start tearing apart the scaffolding and stuff. So both the films uh, sort of destroy the, the large science fiction-y thing that, uh, that uh, inhabits the film. Another thing is both films have miniature versions of large things in the film. So there's the SeaWorld miniature yes. that the owner is explaining. And then there's a matte painting that extends the rocket yes. in eight and a half. Um, yeah, that's my point. That's well, it. there's so many matte paintings in Jaws 3D. Like literal matte paintings. Literal matte paintings. Oh, yeah. There's so many parts in it where I was just like, this is like 2001 level special effects. Which is pretty good. Yeah. But also 2001 came out like, you know, 15 years prior to that kind of around. So it doesn't shouldn't be in Jaws 3D. And in fact, I think it makes the special effects look really bad. Right. To the point where, like, especially some of the 3D effects, like the dolphins jumping out of the water at the end. Oh, yeah. That was wild. And also, some of the fish, you can tell they optically printed into the water. Yes. And it just, it's a different look. It's Whatever people were in that tunnel, too. Yeah, yeah. That was wild. Yeah. Um, speaking of tunnel and being underwater, another similarity between uh-huh. these two films is uh, the um, eight and a half is obviously filled and riddled with uh, dream sequences and memories and is very sort of like dreamlike and hallucinatory. And I found the underwater scene in which Dennis Quaid and his girlfriend go in the submarine and they go yes. looking. That that whole sequence is so surreal to me and so dreamlike uh, uh, that I would argue they both sort of have like a uh, in a way a dream sequence yeah and that scene is was very strange it, the reason it feels surreal is because it kind of like breaks from the the story of the film yeah to just be like okay we're going into 3D mode put on your 3D glasses yeah glasses on oh look at that fish what look at that skull like the characters just narrating the things that they see and, and then the pointing. camera getting close to it yeah. Because it's all kind of first person perspective of just them seeing a thing and then that thing getting close enough for the 3D effect to like be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, very boring in a non 3D version of the film. Yeah. I just got to say, <laughs> arguably not effective. Not at yeah. all. Not a fan of the 3D in the 2D version of the film. Got to say that. 
uh, both films kind of take place in a carnival-esque scenario. Totally. Because well, like SeaWorld is kind of a carnival, but for abusing animals. Yes. It's like a zoo. To the point where the person who you're just like, this person cares about animals. She's like, you know what we should do? We should capture a shark and keep it in captivity. Because then we'll be the only ones. I also like, she's like, I'm a scientist. Therefore, I know what's right. Yeah. And that's sort of the the way they look at that the whole time. And I'm like, there's so many problematic attitudes in this movie. It's mind boggling. It's also wild that SeaWorld signed off on it. Yeah, no like, kidding. SeaWorld is kind of like problematic. In, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But they they were just like, okay, SeaWorld, we're going to make a movie set at SeaWorld. And it's going to be about a person who is like, let's take a shark and put it in captivity at SeaWorld. Yeah. And everybody watching just knows as soon as that happens that that's not going to end well. By the way, this is happening at SeaWorld. You know, your livelihood, this is your company. Yeah. And SeaWorld is like, great, let's do it. You know, but it's just because it's like, well, this is a Jaws sequel. They were going to sign on regardless, probably. Yeah. Even though uh, a lot of people critiqued it for being way more violent than the other ones. It is, I think. The second one has more violence for sure. The first one, none. No. Yet yet it is so gruesome. Yeah. Also, I got to say this movie did have one for the, for most of the movie, I was like, this is not scary. This is not a good Jaws film. Whereas the first Jaws film is like very tense. Oh yeah, for sure. This is an excellent use of like building tension and creating like a sense of the horror of the shark. Yeah. This movie was for the most part, I was just like, oh yeah, there's a shark in this movie. Whenever the shark appeared. Yeah. Uh, except at the very end when the sequence with the pyramids, like the human pyramid going around in the water. Oh yeah. I actually thought that was a very effective it, scene. It, worked it was like well. very tense. I was kind of feeling it. Cool. That's so great. Like, Good for you. Jaws three. Nice. You John made Habs. me feel something. Yeah. <laughs> you made me feel something that, um, Jaws one made me feel, yeah. which was a little scared. That's great. But then Jaws. also they're all fictional characters. I know it doesn't matter. But it works, doesn't it? Yeah. Humans are funny that way. Uh, both both films sort of uh, deal and take part with uh, media, ego, and mm. reputation. So um, I was going to say that. Oh, interesting. But you well, go on. Well, I'm sure this will end up being a collaborative point anyways. Um, well, both films have characters who are from another country who come in and are famous. Yes. But are disliked by the protagonist. So Ooh, good. there's the French actress in Eight and a Half who's constantly begging for information. She wants to know. Her agent is like, we're going to leave uh, Guido if you don't give us more information on the rules. She has offers in Germany and where, wherever else in Europe. And he's just like blowing her off because well, he doesn't care. And also the protagonist of Jaws 3D has an offer in Venezuela. Oh, right. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So that's just Plus like a side connection. The Australian like documentary filmmaker slash animal extremist. Yeah. Um, he's like, he, let's blow it up. Let's blow it up. But he's also like, he constantly wants to film it. And then his mustachioed henchman, who's a s- cinematographer, I guess. He refers to himself as the help at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that scene when he's climbing down the ladder because yeah. he realizes he died and he's just screaming at the water. Yeah. Uh, that scene needed subtitles. Yeah. I didn't know what he said. <laughs> I knew he was upset and I wasn't totally like buying it. He was the only one giving any emotional like... Performance to the movie. Yeah. He gave it his like 100%, but yeah. it was so out of place because his character was literally the least important. Yes. But his also, I found 
in a strange way, his relationship to the famous guy who's like a knockoff, uh, who's that famous animal uh, expert? Jacques Cousteau? No, uh, the Australian guy who ended Steve up- Steve Irwin? Yeah, Steve Irwin. He's a knockoff Steve Irwin. But uh, I found their relationship, we learned more about them and how much they cared about each other than we did with Dennis Quaid and his partner. Yes. Because they always talk about it in such a like pragmatic, factual way. And I'm like, that's not how this works. Like, yeah. The, your relationship might end, but they seem so cool about it. Kind of like in From Justin to Kelly, yeah. where you learn more about the side characters' relationships yeah, than right. you do about Justin or Kelly's right. relationship. <laughs> you know, a movie that's all subplot. Yeah. That's an And that issue. also takes place by the ocean. Yes, it does. <gasps> in Florida. Whoa. Whoa. All of these movies are, are the aren't same there movie. dolphins in From Justin to Kelly? I bet you there are. I think I remember dolphins in that movie. Son we should change bitch. the cast to from Justin to Kane to Jaws 3D. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we? Yeah. No. Yeah, we should. That's a great idea. Maybe we'll just, maybe we'll change the title of the podcast every episode based on that. That's funny. If we can find connections to other films and thing. I think, oh, we, we could. I bet you we could. Constantly. If we, if we was, did one master cast where it's just like five hours long and we'd connect every single film. I love that. Every movie I've watched, I've connected to other films that we've done in the past. Yeah. Sometimes with more ease. It's a thing you can do. Yeah. I, one time, me and a bunch of pals that you know, uh, but maybe not the listener. I don't know who listens to this. Every year we do a movie marathon at Christmas, oh, right, around Christmas right, right. time. And one yeah. time we did Jim Carrey movies. And we came up with this thing called the Carryverse, which was basically we found so many links between all the films that we were able to create the carry verse in our mind that being that all films take place in the same like uni- uh, cinematic universe kind of like marvel i guess yeah i love that it was great what we're doing on this podcast is essentially just like exercising the same muscles that conspiracy theorists use if you think well, about when it you put it like that mike but it's far more innocuous yes no definitely more banal nice banal Banal. 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 <laughs> Banal. Banal. Um, there are scenes of leisure <laughs> that then lead to uh, like romantic relationships. Ooh. So Guido at the beginning of the film, he's like starting his day off and he's being badgered by producers and production people. And then he like goes to the bar at the end of the night and mm-hmm. like sees that friend who can like, who's working with the woman who reads minds and then he ends up going to a hotel room with a with a mistress uh-huh. and in um uh Joss 3D there's a scene in the bar with Dennis Quaid his girlfriend and his younger brother and then there's that woman playing that weird pushing game where you yeah. just push on each other and then you fall and you lose yeah um and then the little brother plays and then he ends up sort of falling for this woman and then they start a relationship yeah. And she later gets her bag, her leg bitten by a shark. And then that's the last we see of her? Yeah, they never bring her up again, or him. Do they bring up the uh, people trapped in that tunnel? Nope. nope. Control they, your breathing. Okay. And then they just don't, they, see, they don't just, see them again. They drop literally everything. Once they get the game plan to like blow the shark up with a grenade in the mouth or whatever, or trap it, Yeah. they, uh, they drop every other part of the screenplay. That's a bad thing when you're watching a movie. I'd like to see all of these different like threads resolved. Yeah. But also, uh, most people, when they talk about why a movie is bad, one of the first things they'll say is they'll compare it to reality. They'll be like, oh, I just didn't think that that was realistic. Which right. is like, well, if you're watching a movie, the whole point is that you're not 
trying to engage with reality. You're trying to like engage with something that's not real. Yeah. Or to escape or whatever. But whenever someone doesn't like something, it's because they're just like, it's not realistic. No, but what they're trying to say, there's a misconception that yeah. re- realism uh, and compelling are the same thing. The, the movie created a, a universe that had rules. And then it broke, its, broke own rules. its own rules. Exactly. Yeah, I understand and, that's what they're saying. Yeah, but they, they don't have the, the sort of cinematic literacy. Yes, to, uh, that we do. Yeah. <laughs> that us smart white dudes who love movies yeah. do. Doing a rare movies white guy podcast. Yeah, we're the first. We're the first. We're the first. Uh, but as I was saying, there was... Uh, if you take it... Instead of the the universe with created rules, if you don't take that road, but you take the road of actual just reality. Yeah. Jaws 3D is actually maybe a good film because of how it kind of adheres to reality in that you're going out on a night out in the town or whatever, you encounter some friends, like you're at a bar, and then they get into a bar fight or whatever, and you're just like, I got to get out of here. And then you leave. That plot line doesn't get resolved. No, no, so, it doesn't. Fascinating. So maybe Jaws 3D isn't bad. Maybe this podcast should just be us defending bad films. No, that that exists. Oh, does it? I'm, oh. No, I, have, I, I can't name the podcast, but I bet you it exists. Mm, okay. Touche. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Just like if you just type in movie podcasts in a podcast thing, it is intimidating. <laughs> just the amount of white dudes, mostly with like like goatees and beards, like a lot of facial hair yeah. and cartoon avatars oh. on their like images. Yeah. Uh, just talking about movies. Okay. And a lot of the time it's just like, we watched these two bad movies and we talked about them. Are we starting a pod beef? Yeah, we are. We're with, sh- with we're the entire our movie. Own kind. Yeah, we're just starting a pod beef with literally everybody in the pod, the movie podcast universe. Yeah, the the sub genre of movie podcast. Yeah, um, but whatever. Life is for living. Let's Life's for living, sh- man. Start beef. Yeah, um, let's just you just gotta beef always. Yeah, always beef. Life is only interesting if you're beefing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, I got a great similarity. What is it? Uh, both films feature executives pressuring somebody to make a film. Oh yeah, just just literally eight and a half. That's the whole movie. Yeah, but then the guy who owns SeaWorld is just like, "Hey, this guy wants to film us killing this shark," uh, and then they're like, "No, don't do it." That's a good one, Mike. That is a a big part of both films. Yeah, it's kind of the only justification for that Australian guy being there. Yeah, Steve Irwin. And they say, "No, asked. we're gonna capture this shark, put it in captivity." And then just leave it in a very shallow tank with a bunch of people just dangling their heads over the side. <laughs> yeah. But then that shark died. Yeah, that's for shark. some reason. Just so that the mama shark could come. Yeah, and get mad. You thought that that was the shark, but no, mama sharks. Just kidding. It was two sharks the whole time. It was two that's sharks. That's why they call it Jaws 2. Wait a minute. What? Just kidding. Where's the third shark? Also, both films kind of, or there's like family connections in both movies. Mm-hmm. That being. The Brody characters in this movie are related to the guy from Jaws 1. Yeah. And then the Guido is always fantasizing about all of the women in his life. I think you see his mother at some point or someone who's a stand-in for his mother. You do, yeah. Yeah. Well, his wife is his mother. Yes. In the in the one sequence with the whip. That's right, yeah. Yeah, which is fascinating. There's yes. a lot to read into that film about. Oh, yeah. Man. But also... So layered. That movie's so fun because... I guess I didn't really even know it was improvised or no, I guess it wasn't improvised, but there was a lot. It was pretty loose. It was like, pretty loose. And that's what build, kind of they, makes it fun and exciting. He literally told them to start building sets and he didn't know what they'd be for. Yeah. You know, another movie that they did that with? What? The Hobbit. 
That movie was also improvised in much the same way as Eight and a Don't Half. Don't you mean movies? Yes. It, well, that's the problem yeah. also. <laughs> Thank God there's not Eight and a Half, Nine and a Half, and Ten and a Half. Uh, I guess there's Eight and a Half and Nine, though. Eh, whatever. Yeah. Should we just do one more? Yeah. Yeah, let's do one more. Both films kind of have like a meta cinema element to it. So aside from in Jaws 3D, the part where you, uh, they were they making really a movie. say what it They is. just wanted to film the shark blowing up. But in Eight and a Half... There's a part where they're looking at a screen. Oh, yeah. And in, there's many parts in Jaws 3D where they're looking through little windows, which in many ways are screens for the, the film of the ocean. There's the also... Cinema of, of the ocean, which is a term I just made up. <laughs> cinema of the ocean. <laughs> which is when you look that. through a screen and you just see fish. I'm going to jump on that. They have CCTV because there's an operator in Jaws 3D that's like looking for the shark. And then they're like, oh, I found it. Yeah. And then it ends up just being... Um, uh, a dolphin. Yeah. So yeah, both both of the films deal with with like watching media and uh, it being under like high pressure situations. When they look at the screen, they're both trying to find the thing that they're looking for. Yeah. In the one case, the shark, and the other one, the actress. Well, they're it's looking for the like inspiration. Yeah. Like I think it's not about the screen tests in eight and a half. It's about him. He's looking at himself when he sees all those screen tests, and he can't find. He's like just clutching at straws. He can't find what it is he's looking for. And must it's, be, must be nice. Yeah, just have so much money thrown at you. Yeah, and just be like, I'm just farting this away. Yeah. I just don't know what to do. All you have to do is nail it once or twice. Yeah. And then you're just good to go. Phone it in. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's what I say. Also, something that I noticed in both films, and then maybe this is a bit of a pet peeve of, of mine. Yeah. But both movies, there's parts where uh, fun, like people having fun, yeah. is represented just by young people running on a beach. Like almost, oh, a, little, yeah. almost a little too fast. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you know, when you're watching a movie and whenever someone eats a meal, they're always, they're always eating, but they're always talking at the same time. Yeah. Because it's a movie and they can't just like, you know, eat a plate of pasta and then like keep talking they have yeah. to be eating and talking just so the movie just keeps going it's just one of those things that in movies just now that's the language you see young people running on a beach and it's just like oh they're having fun this is fun they're just having like the best time like nothing could possibly go wrong yeah and that happened so much in the 80s like 80s movies because 80s movies for whatever reason there's a lot of people running on the beach well i feel like you know there were all those cheap like corman beach movies from the yeah. 60s and there's a lot of that a lot of, a lot of like yeah. zany dancing and stuff and so the language you, you know you you can illustrate or, or establish the language that cinema will then use forever yeah. more which is terrifying I know. sometimes it's bad stuff and it just is normalized. That's what's so wild about movies. Cinema is like ref, like constantly reflecting itself now. Yeah, totally. It's like what you, I've I've never been in like a, a hostage negotiation scenario. But you know exactly what to but do. I know if you what, I know what it's like cuz yeah. I've seen enough movies, but then there's also people who are making movies about hostage negotiators. And they're just basing it entirely on movies that they've seen about hostage negotiators, you know, so totally. it's the snake eating its own tail and then regurgitating its own tail. Totally. Yeah. Which makes you, you know, you know how when you uh, optically print something, it will degrade by generation. I feel like that's happening intellectually with film yeah. creation. These ideas, 
It's like you're just eating the barf of the last movie and then barfing that barf out. And it's yeah. an even reduced barf. Sorry, there's a barf trigger. <laughs> My apologies. But it just keeps happening. And it just keeps degrading. And then that that becomes your your pool of resources. It's like these films. Yeah. And it's like, don't do that. No. That's crazy. Have you ever sat down and tried to write a movie? Yeah. Have you ever, you know, when they say write what you know? Yeah. Have you ever tried to sit down and write something you didn't know? No. What? Really? Okay. Yeah, never. <laughs> okay, never I mind. mean, no, I have, but not successfully. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's why you don't finish it. Yeah. But. I don't. It's I think, a problem of mine. I think the reason most people don't finish is because it's very hard to write a full script just in general. Especially, like, following through and doing drafts. Yeah. It's one thing to, like, bang out a quick copy and be like, boom, 90 pages, I don't care. But yeah. to actually, like, do it and then be like, okay, now I have to fix this hot mess yeah it's crazy that takes so much dedication and patience which i don't have well i was getting at the idea that we were that a lot of people don't write what they know totally i'm gonna write a movie about astronauts i'm not gonna do a heck of a lot of research on astronauts because i've seen enough astronaut movies that i can just kind of go through the motions and that's that's true where we even film them the same that's a great point you know that if someone's walking towards the camera in slow motion and they're wearing like a astronaut outfit. They're, they're about get. to go on the ship. But then that's a great sketch. Taking film language and like the first shot is that film language. And then the next shot is like, oh, the astronaut's just getting into his, his like VW <laughs> minivan and like driving away. Yeah. Like that's what he just wears to work is he gets his briefcase and a spacesuit and drives to work. Someone should make He's a very, that. someone should make a very serious astronaut film. And every time that the character gets... Didn't they? Isn't it First Man? No, but I mean... No, okay. (laughs) Someone should make a very serious astronaut film, but every time that person goes somewhere... Yeah. They they film it the same way. Right. So you're always thinking they're going to get on the spaceship, and then they just like... Yeah, they just get into a car. Yeah. Or they just open a door to the bank. I like that. Every time they're walking from place to place, they're always wearing their astronaut uniform. Then holding their helmet off to the side and the music's triumphant. They're walking in slow motion and then, yeah, it just cuts and it's like, ding, 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 ding. Next in line. It's like, I'd like to deposit this check. Mike, take like, it to telephone. This astronaut man. check. Yeah, this astronaut check. Solid steel. <laughs> uh, they go to the, just go to the grocery store and they're just buying dehydrated food. Just like, just staring at different packages and comparing like the ingredients on Here, dehydrated food. Here's the ultimate bit. When he finally does get on the on the jet, he's afraid of flying. And then halfway through the movie, it cuts, and it's you in a room with executives, and they're critiquing your movie about astronauts. Yeah. And just like, you don't know anything about astronauts. And then the rest of the movie is about you not knowing how to make your movie. Yeah. Instead of Fellini's eight and a half. Whoa. Bob's eight and a half. That like shitty comedy I was trying to make. <laughs> they're like, you don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, ah, you're right. You're right. And then uh, I befriend a shark. And then the shark is like, hey, I'm a fledgling screenwriter. You want to re- read the screenplay? And I read the <laughs> screenplay. And it is an exact reflection of my entire childhood. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, how did you know this? He's like, I didn't. It's what I know. And then he eats me. <laughs> He just <laughs> consumes me in one fell swoop. But that'd be a good idea for a movie too. Maybe I'm very wrong when I say that, but 
No, I like just like your confidence. I, I, person encountering a shark and the shark is a, like a struggling screenwriter. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's funny. That's funny. Like, always... You want to read my script and it's just like, like your first problem is, is, is the script is soggy. <laughs> and it's like, I'm a shark. <laughs> I love that. I love films where you take like one thing and just plop it in another yeah. context. We were talking about this. That's why puppets are cool. That's why puppets are cool. That's yeah. why animals are cool. Puppets are cool. Cars are cool. Also, Sharknado is a thing. What if the tornado had sharks in it? That's like, okay, fine. It's a B movie. But what if you were an astronaut and you were in space and there's a shark? Like a space shark. What if what if Has ground so, control? Someone made that movie where it's just like a shark with an, an astronaut helmet to keep it so it can... But the astronaut helmet is filled with water because it's a shark. Yeah. Needs to breathe water, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Floating through space. And I love then that. people are still afraid of it, even though they're in a spaceship. But and he then, still tries to get in. Like, <laughs> oh, I love that. And then it's like, doom, 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 doom. And then the shark hits, hits the International Space Station yeah. and all the astronauts are terrified. But one of the astronauts is a Navy veteran from the Second World War. Another one is a jaded scientist who's a yes. millionaire, and the other one is a family man, but kind of close-minded and blue-collar. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, cool. 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 But also, when it's like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, it only makes that music sound when you're inside the spaceship. When yeah. it cuts the outside, it's just silence. It's just, and you, the sh- you can't even hear the sound of the shark flapping. Yeah. But, <laughs> like but then you... Flailing in the space. You, you cut to the sound inside of the shark's helmet, and it's just wet sounds. Like a dog yeah. lapping up water. <laughs> and and also just, just like, like, oh, God. <laughs> the yeah. shark just also chomping a lot. I also like, it has a helmet on, but it still feels the need to chomp, even though the helmet goes around its mouth. Well, I am, so it's just butting its head into the spaceship. I imagine all sharks are just constantly in chomp mode. Yeah, for it's like, sure. If you ever see a movie... With sharks in it, you just see the shark, and it's just kind of just like waving its body back and forth because that's you know that's how it swims. Yeah, but then also, also they, they you can't just imagine still. them just chomping always. They drown if they if they're still. So, oh, so is that they, why that shark died in Jaws 3D? Yeah. So they like uh, I think the reason is they can't like suck the water into their gills. The motion has to do it. Oh. So they'll literally suffocate if they sit still. So when they sleep, they move. They like kind of go on their cruise control. They're like and they just cruise sleep. around. Sleep walking but like sleep swimming yeah sleep swimming but in space with a space helmet on yeah <laughs> oh yeah okay back to this movie idea the yeah. shark <laughs> encounters the space station and then they're just like oh no the shark's coming to get us but the shark's just swimming through space and it's asleep they don't even realize oh wow and then they're like Phew. and they're projecting their fear onto it yeah maybe and the shark can smell fear even though he's in space and, has a and he has on. a helmet filled with water on <laughs> And then, in order to kill the shark, they take one of the ar- the Canada arm or whatever, yeah. and they basically they make a giant bat, and they just hit the shark <laughs> with the, the and then they bat it into either the sun or the moon. Right. They had, I think they would they hit the moon for sure. Yeah. Or no, they hit it into Saturn's rings, and then it just kind of rotates oh. like it orbits around Saturn and for it's constantly being like punched by other rocks. rocks yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, well, that's the last we'll see of that shark. But then it, you, you know how like dolphins when they're swimming and they'll like like come up under the surface and then like dive back down. Mm-hmm. The shark does that, but with the asteroid belt yeah. <laughs> surrounding the Saturn's rings, so it'll just like dive up and then dive back down, and it'll be really happy. 
Yeah. So emotionally, it's content because it's found its freedom. And then the humans are happy because they killed it. They overcame an arbitrary obstacle. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then they cut to ground control, like the screen turns on and it's like, uh, oh, ground control, we killed the shark. And then the, the, the guy who's in charge of ground control is a shark wearing like a short sleeve dress yes. shirt and a tie. And it's yes. like the 60s. And he's like, what? You did what? We sent him up there to help you. <laughs> and then the humans are like, oh my God, what happened? And then they look at the screen. <laughs> uh, that everyone is sharks. And it's like a Planet of the Apes moment where they realize they've been off Earth for so long that the world is inhabited by humanoid sharks. But they don't have legs. They just like flop around. Oh, man. We got to make this movie. <laughs> yeah. So go to our Patreon link. Go to our Patreon link. Uh, Donate $5 minimum. Yeah, minimum, maximum $7. Please go to our Patreon. Yeah, you you know where it is. You know where it is. You know how to find it. Yeah. Uh, The link is posted below. Yeah. Black screen. On the black screen, yeah. (laughs) Well, we... What what are our takeaways from that film after that nice 15-minute detour we just took into uh, our fanfic? Oh yeah, our slash fic? Cuz also in this movie slash Also fic. in this movie somebody from eight and a half has sex with the shark in space. Yeah. It's the woman who dances on the beach for the boys. She she's actually the CEO of NASA. Okay, can I talk about two things before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, totally. Go for One, it. in eight and a half, the scene with that with that woman who did the rumba on the beach. Yeah. What was that about? I don't know. It was Fellini was working through something on that with that scene. That like boyish perverseness because it's like I think he's probably trying to explore how when you're a child you're often told to be ashamed of or or are just sort of immediately ashamed of any sexual feelings you have or fantasies uh-huh. you have. And so these boys like watching this woman dance on the beach is like for them obviously like a sexual awakening and then they're immediately punished. Yes. And uh, obviously that's not beneficial to anybody. Was Fellini exploring his... His shame. Well, also the idea of of woman, you know? I think so. She... What was her name again? Sarah Gina or something like something that? Something like that, yeah. She was, she was kind of like, the, yeah, really just there to just dance for them. And she was like, oh, look at all these boys. I'm going to dance. Yeah. In like a real like aggressive way. And they're all just going to just like jump around like monkeys. Yeah, she uh, also and then run on the beach because they're having fun. Yeah, and she also wasn't like conventionally beautiful in the way that the other women in the film are. Yeah, she was more like a, uh, the way the film depicts her is like a grotesque monster in a way. Kind of, she yeah. comes like out of a cave, literally, like yeah. that bomb shelter on the beach is like a cave, and she's like a monster that they lure out with money. That's right, and then yeah. she dances. Yeah, and uh, so you know, it's it's interesting how they portray her. I don't know. I don't know what he's unpacking, but it's definitely something. Yeah, because the whole movie seems to both be about his uh, desire to make or not make a movie. Yeah, and he, then uh, he a kinky boy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I just I want to be the first to say that's a horrifying sound. <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, this podcast is just so funny, but I also have like a weird coughing fit every time I laugh really hard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but no, this movie is about him making a movie and also not making a movie. But then also, it's also just like about women, you know, all the women from his life are in the movie. Yeah. And then there's also like the sexy one. And like, he also has sex with women all the time who aren't his wife, but then his wife sometimes plays his mom. And then there's a, like, there's the sexy woman. 
who dances for them, but then they're immediately punished by like a mother character and she chases them along the beach and stuff. There's like a lot of just a different angles. Totally. And it, it, it intertwines like sexual relationships and repercussions faced through religion. Yeah. So like, oh, yeah, like, right. like, like re- re- religious institutions sort of are constantly present and they're always um, either uh, punishing or not accepting. So right. like even when he goes and that, that like priest or whatever, the cardinal is like getting, he's like, and he's like short shorts and he like gets out of one tub and just walks into another tub and there's yeah. a bunch of steam and he just like basically disregards Guido immediately. He's like, he doesn't give him the time of day. Yeah. And the the one producer was like, oh, like if you get his approval, we can do anything. Yeah. And he doesn't get it because he never did. Yeah. His character never did. Yeah. A lot of, I, f- I feel like a lot of older filmmakers really explore, I guess youth films and stuff are a normal thing, but. A lot of because I'm watching 400 Blows right now, and that's like just about Francois Truffaut's childhood. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, this is so much. This is very similar to Eight and a Half, kind of, in, in terms of approach to the past and punishment and institution. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Um, but both Fellini and Truffaut were on the outskirts of society. I would argue, in terms of outlook and philosophy, they were like bad boys, like punk rock. Yeah. Why do we do Jaws 3D? We should have done 400 blows. But it's not a bad movie. Oh, isn't it? That's the whole point. It's black and white, though. I hate black and white movies. I hate, I hate reading while I watch a movie. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about Jaws real quick. Yeah, you go. Them go dolphins. It. Yeah. They, was, they had to do some stuff. They were very talented. They saved those people from the sharks. They fought the shark. They fought the shark. And then they were just like, ah, damn it, we left. We close the gate. The dolphins are out in the water or whatever. Yeah. Too bad. They'll fend for themselves. And they did. And they did. They edited the film very poorly where it was very clear that the shark was never in the same place as the dolphins. Yeah. But then also film language is constantly just like convincing you what you're watching is makes sense. Yeah. So I'm always just like, oh, those dolphins are going to get caught by that shark. You almost care for the dolphins more than any of the human characters. Well, I was like, is the shark is the shark going to get the dolphins? Yeah, I thought that too, and they, they just left them. That's but good. the dolphins um, saved the protagonist's lives. So many times. So many times, and like fought the shark, like jabbed it in the nose with, with or yeah, jabbed the shark with their nose. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. And then again, humans and dolphins sometimes have very intimate, close relationships. Go on. Sometimes too close. <laughs> How do you know this? I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. No, we have to. Uh, We've already talked about slash fic. Uh, no, I, there are reported cases of humans and dolphins having sexual relationships. Yes, go on. That's all I want to say about it. I don't know. You're I am so excited. I just to, <laughs> you're like, oh, what? Uh, I know. I just know what you're talking about. I just want to hear you talk about it. I just want you to say it. Just, I once had a very so lengthy, I see how much you know. I once had a very lengthy conversation with a uh, an improviser from okay. Israel about human dolphin relationships. I thought you were going to say a local pervert. <laughs> no, okay. a foreign one. Just kidding. I mean, they weren't no, a pervert. They were equally as mystified as I was. Oh, okay. By the whole practice. That's what they say. Yeah, that's what they say, but really they're big fans. Just like you, you freaky guy. Yeah. That's why you want me to talk about it. On, <laughs> on the on the pod, on the on, epi. On the epi, on the yeah. latest epi so of the pod. The sub pod, the sub epi is about human dolphin relationships. So let's we should dissect the film Jaws 3D and find all the sexual relationships. Or like moments of 
sexual tension between the dolphins and Dennis Quaid and his girlfriend. Mm. There's quite a few. You think that there's a storyline that they cut out where they had sex with the dolphins? Oh, for sure. Also, well, what do you think they did once the film ended? You know what I mean? They still had some time to kill before that sun went down. I guess so, yeah. And those, dolphin, those dolphins jumped out of the water pretty excitedly. They were the very excited. Yeah. They're like, nothing like banging in a large body of water with a dead shark floating in it. Like, that shot would probably have looked really cool in 3D. If you had 3D glasses in to kind of just blur, like, the crappiness of totally. it, how it looked. It was still amazing that they got it. Well, but it basically just looked like just the worst screensaver come to life kind of thing. <laughs> just like CGI dolphins funny. spinning in the foreground as like a sunset. Yeah. It's like, so I guess I would imagine right. it being like on a, one of those like puffy long sleeve sweatshirts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, like yeah, a white, yeah, a white yeah. sweatshirt with a really like neon colored sunset with dolphins. Totally. Hopping out of it. Also, there's a scene where Dennis Quaid and his partner are like feeding the dolphins and he blatantly just throws the fish over the dolphin's head, and then they just keep that take. Yeah. He like misses the dolphin. The dolphin's obviously disappointed. Like goes back in the water, and then they just like let the two characters keep talking. And I just thought that was so funny because it's so jarring. I'm sure nobody noticed it. You did. All our listeners. I mean, yeah. All our all our listeners watch these movies. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I hope. Just like you got a lot of homework this week. You gotta watch two movies. Totaling four long. hours of cinema total. Yeah. Well, that's the end of the pod. Yeah. But that's the end of the podcast. The the series is over. Uh, we'll hear you next time. Uh, I've been Mike. I was and gonna I, say Bob, but then I realized that I am not you. <laughs> what? Huh? I've been a shark the whole time. I've I've been an astronaut shark. Whoa. I'm jealous of you because I'm like a blue collar shark and you're like this and we're brothers and you're like a big wig shark and you make more money and you have a family and i'm i work in a steel mill i was like top 40 under 40 shark really yeah the top the shark top 40 under 40 wow i've never been nominated for that i know yeah well, it helps to come from a rich family yeah they can pay for you to go I came from a single school. parent home it's just my mom and i my mom shark and i you're like bruce 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 <laughs> You're like Bruce Sharkstein. Yeah, I am. Or Spruce, Bruce Spring Shark. No, okay. Sharkstein is Sharkstein. better for sure. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Sharkstein is much better. Bruce Spring Shark sounds like a shark with a spring on it. Yeah, I'm a hammerhead and I got a sweet tattoo. The thing is, I'm hotter than you. My <laughs> shark is hotter than your shark. And I use my hammerhead to like bang metal, red hot metal. Cool. So I got like so blue sweet. Collar. Yeah, it's awesome. Not to fetishize it, but, you know, I make enough. Make enough to get by. Yeah, I get by. Just enough to to buy your girl nice things. Yeah. Fix up your shark motorcycle. Totally. I, I only drink Coors Shark. One of these days you're going to leave this town. I hope so. One of these days. Well, one of these days I hope to be in the stratosphere like you. But you can't. But my hammerhead doesn't fit in this shuttle. That's why they denied me from <laughs> Shark NASA. Well, one day when the shark earth gets, uh, when the sharks abuse climate change and whatever. And they and will. They, and they have to move to Mars. Yeah. We'll bring your blue collar person to Mars just so you can build us a pod. That's nice. That we can like live in. Oh, I see. It's still classist. It's Yeah, we'll definitely still have classist society. Oh, okay. This is still a shark capitalism yeah. that we're still living under. So of course we're just going to exploit the workers. So are you shark Elon Musk? 
and me, a simple lay shark. <laughs> if you put it that way, then yes. Wow. So anyway, thanks uh, for listening to the podcast. This has been Shark Elon Musk. And this has been Bob. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>